We have been talking about being on the move for the, the past few weeks. And uh, duh, we moved. <laughs> uh, physically and geographically, we moved from downtown Stockholm to Solentuna. But of course, it's much more we mean to say with being on the move. As a church, we have to be on the move because God is always on the move. And we, we can't afford to not acknowledge that and recognize that because God is on the move. And so we've heard a lot these last few weeks about what that looks like. We heard about Abraham, who was uh, the founder, the beginning of God's people overall, from the first day of his calling being sent to move to a place he didn't even know. Um, we, we heard about God moving among the, the people of Israel with the fire and the smoke, and, and, and all they had to do was follow. We heard about us being uh, aliens here in this world, um, the kind of aliens that know that this is not really our place in the future, but for now we are here, and we are here with a purpose, and we don't just sit here and wait for a rapture or something else to happen to take us away from this terribly sinful and dark place. So we've talked a lot about what it means to be on the move, and I think there's so much more God would like to say to us about that. I want to finish this uh, topic by uh, just showing you the other side of a coin. Because I believe that the journey that we're on, and we are on a journey, runs on two tracks. It's almost like two alternate realities. We, uh, we want to move where God wants us to be. And to move means also for us as a church to leave this building and to be out there. And it's happening in Husby. It's happening uh, around here. And I believe more of that will happen where we will be on our journey outward more and more. We want to reach this community. We want to reach the young people. We want to reach the broken. We want to reach uh, the many foreigners that God is sending to this nation. But while we do that, we dare not forget that actually there is another journey that we are on simultaneously. And that one is hidden. That's the inward journey. That's our spiritual life. And we all know and sense deep inside that if we don't manage to synchronize these two journeys in some way, something is going to happen sooner or later. Either we're going to run out of steam, we get tired and weary and stop with the outward journey. Or even worse, we, we get so, so burned out that we just cannot function anymore and need a time of recovery and healing. Or that we, in our, in our zeal to be out there where, where God wants us to be, we, we fall under temptation and attack in such a way that our character cannot sustain what we are meant to be, and we fall along the way. Stories are all over the place of that happening. So, herein lies the problem. Um, 
Many of us have received great training for the outward journey. I know that even before we came to Stockholm, there had been training courses in this church. I know there was a long time ago a, a Bible training school here. Um, some of you have been to the, to the ranch, the very famous vineyard training school of long ago. And of course, we all have listened to hundreds of sermons by now and read hundreds of books. And we've run the Kingdom School of Ministry two years, and, and we try to help um, equip people to, to do the works of God out there, pray for the sick, cast out demons, do what needs to be done. So I think we, we've heard a lot. But now let me ask you a question. How well have you been trained to be in the presence of God? How much training have you received in maybe different ways to, to pray or read the Bible? Does anyone even ever ask you, well, how is your devotional life? How is it going with your prayer and your Bible reading? This is so private that we don't really like to talk about it. But the problem is, as I mentioned early on, we cannot separate these two realities from, my, from each other. Let me tell you a little bit about my, my story. I became a believer here in Sweden a long, long time ago. And uh, after surrendering my life to Jesus, I, I joined a church. And immediately, it was unspoken, I didn't get a list, but immediately there were expectations that became obvious. Now that you are a believer, you need to pray. That's what we do. Christians pray. You need to read the Bible. That's also what we do. Um, we would like to see you give 10% of your income to the church and attend as many meetings as you possibly can. Uh, outreach. We would like to see you there as much as, as possible. And uh, we want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want you to be... Exercise, to exercise the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we want you to live as a saint and finish well. And then one day, the Lord will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And that pretty much sums it up. I think for many of us, we felt those expectations all along. And I I'm not trying to ridicule that because so much of that is true and real and necessary. But by the way, that, that scripture where Jesus talks about the good and faithful servant, it's in a parable that really doesn't have anything to do with the day when we stand before the Lord. Um, Revelation says that <clears throat> when we stand before our God, and we all will, he's not going to ask any question. He's not going to ask, what did you do? He's going to check if your book is written, if your name is written in the book of life. That's what he's looking for. And of course, there is something about our deeds that is of value, absolutely. But I want to once again um, read this scary verse um, that we don't really like to talk about, where Jesus talks in Matthew 7:21 and says on judgment day, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, 
I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. The point is, and has always been, who we are is more important than what we do. And yes, there will be a judgment of our deeds. Our motives will be judged, and some of the things that we thought were so great in life will burn up because our motives were maybe selfish or flawed in some way. And, And other things that we didn't think deserve any recognition, God will say, I saw that. I saw that. And for that, you will receive a reward. So I want to help you and us understand that as we go forward and learning more and more to do the deeds, that we have no, um, there's no room for us to forget the deeper journey. And here's this quote from uh, Henry Newman. Some of you may have heard his name before. He's quite a well-known, he's not alive anymore, but he was a well-known priest, author, theologian, uh, philosopher, uh, many things. But he is much quoted in the Christian circles. And he says it so pointedly. The farther the outward journey takes you, the deeper the inward journey must be. We've talked about the outward journey so much. Now it's time to talk about the inward journey as well. If we want to continue moving forward in a, in a healthy manner. I want to read another scripture for you. 1 Peter 1, 18, 21. Your life is a journey you must travel with a deep consciousness of God. It cost God plenty to get you out of that dead-end, empty-headed life you grew up in. He paid with Christ's sacred blood, you know. He died like an unblemished, sacrificial lamb. And this was no afterthought, even, even even though it was only lately, at the end of the ages, become public knowledge. God always knew he was going to do this for you. It is because of this sacrificial Messiah whom God then raised from the dead and glorified that you trust God and that you know you have a future in God. It's a description of the Christian life. There's very little about doing in there, is there? That it's about a journey with a consciousness of God. So I want to spend a little bit of time uh, to talk about that. We know it's true, what Henry Nguyen is saying. We know that the longer the mast on the boat, the deeper the keel has to be. We know that the higher the skyscraper, the deeper the foundation has to be dug. We know the bigger the tree, the stronger the roots have to be. We know that. And then then why do we spend so little time and energy on that which lies beneath our own spiritual life? So I'm going to take you just for a moment to the inward journey, our spiritual formation. It's a process of transformation of the inmost dimensions of the human being, the heart, which is the same as the spirit of will. It is being formed, transformed, as the Bible says, in such a way that its natural expression comes to the deeds 
done in the power of Christ. So we want to do the deeds in the power. And we always wonder, I don't know about you, but I always wonder, okay, I know that I need the power to do the deeds, but where do I get the power? Where is the power? You know what John Wimber used to say? He said, the power is in the presence. And that's exactly what, what we mean with that. The power we long for, the power that we so, so desperately need to do the deeds that we want to do, the power is found in the presence of God. And where do we find the presence of God? For some people, it's the Sunday meeting. It's the summer camp. It's some highlight of a conference. But there is much more. The power of God is present in you every single day of your life. Whether you feel it or not, it's there because he has poured out his spirit upon you, as we heard earlier. We, we teach our children. We teach them Jesus is in your heart. And, and then we check, you know, where's Jesus? In my heart. But we don't believe it ourselves sometimes. We're, we're out there and we are in the midst of maybe a difficult situation and Jesus seems far away, not present at all. But he is. Otherwise, he's a liar. He said he would be with us every day of our lives. And he said that if we abide in him, he will abide in us. And there's that, that glorious mix-up that is so hard to understand. But, but he is in us. His presence is there, but we are not aware of it because we have not been trained to recognize it. And so we say, I have no power to do the things that Jesus is asking me to do for him. So at the heart of spiritual formation is becoming aware that God is everywhere and learning to practice his presence and yield to his untransforming grace. We should have been taught that when we were young. It should have been part of our discipleship. It wasn't part of mine. Maybe it was part of yours, but it wasn't part of mine. There were these expectations, like I said from the beginning, now do this, do this, do this. But I had to figure out how to pray. I had to figure out how to read the Bible. And I, it took me forever to, to actually learn and understand that there are many different ways we can pray and many different ways we can read the Word of God and meditate on it. So we do need this formation in our lives, and it's God who's doing it. The, the spiritual formation is from God. We cannot transform ourselves. We've tried that. We know it doesn't work. But there is something we can do. We need to make ourselves available and learn to really seek uh, his presence inside of us. God desires our presence more than our activity. We were designed to live in a garden called Eden. That's how we were designed. Eden means pleasure. Eden means delight. We were designed to, to live with God on a daily basis in fellowship with him and each other. Now, we know that the fall and sin separated us from that reality. And, and many Christians believe it, we can never attain anything even close to that until we get to heaven one day. Then everything will be back as it was in paradise. 
I used to believe that. I don't anymore. I believe already here and now we can, at least in part, maybe not fully, at least in part, come to a place in our lives, in our spirituality, where that communion with God can be a daily experience, not an experience of once a week or a few times a week or a few times a year. I believe it can be and should be, must be a daily experience. Deep down, that's really what we long for, isn't it? But that's the problem. We say that this is what we want, and then we'll try it for a little bit, and it doesn't seem to, to work so well, and so we stop again. I don't know about you, but I've never met a Christian yet who told me that I'm really satisfied with my devotional life. I pray so much every day, and I really read the Bible so much, and, and I feel his presence all the time. I'm good, man. I haven't met that person. If you have, send him to me. I would like to meet him or her. If we're honest, and if every one of you would be given a microphone right now, and you would have to answer the question, how is your devotional life? I have a feeling that almost every one of us would say, well, it's not quite where it should be or where I would like it to be. I struggle with keeping regular times of prayer. Some, there are days when I, I, I don't open the Bible at all, just, just don't have time, and, and, and I don't sense him. He's so far away sometimes. I don't know where he is, but I don't feel his presence. I think that's the reality in many of our lives. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. What we need is a little bit of help. And the help is called spiritual direction. For many people, this is kind of a, a new thing um, that, you know, actually we talk about this. Um, we know that if we want to excel in any kind of sport, or academic achievement, we have to train and work at it. Um, where's, where's Jakob? I saw him before. There he is. I don't think he would go run a marathon without training for it. That would be quite foolish. Uh, I don't think any uh, athlete that wants to excel would, would uh, attempt to, to do that without training the muscles that are needed for whatever they want to perform. It would be like that little guy trying to lift those uh, 200 kilos or whatever it is he's got on there. It's just foolish, isn't it? And especially here in Sweden, people love to go to the gym. They understand the, the uh, value of fitness and trying to live healthy. Um, forget the Lordox goodies, but other than that, um, <laughs> You know, people are pretty much aware of the need to train and work out and do some exercise. What makes us think that we don't need that for our spiritual man? There's a spiritual muscle inside of us called the soul. And you know what? You can train your soul to sense the presence of God. You can train your soul to become so strong that, that you can be connected and feel connected and know the reality that you are connected. It's possible. And so just as, a, as an athlete would probably need 
the help of a coach or, or mentor or a trainer? How do we, why do we think we don't need that? We think we can just do it on our own. And, and then, you know, since nobody asks us anyways about these things in our life, we can get away with faking it, you know? We can get away with, with looking good on the outside and even show up for the outreach, but man, I haven't prayed in a week. Nobody knows. And so there is something in this direction that is so healthy, and, and yet it's not very well known among the body of Christ, at least not in the part that we are from. Um, this is not psychotherapy. It's not even pastoral counseling. Both are needed at times. I'm not saying they're bad, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is uh, entrust our care to a person that, that somehow knows how to lead us into a deeper relationship and understanding of God. And so we need some help and the person that can help us with that is what some people call the spiritual director. It's a, it's a terrible word. I don't like the word myself. Um, because when I think of a director, I think of the, you know, the director of a big corporation or a big school, so a big boss. I don't need another big boss in my life. So that kind of may sound a little bit strange, that term, but really what is meant is, is, is a companion uh, a friend, but, but more than a friend, because there has to be some kind of authority in that relationship. If it's only mutual, it will stop at some place. There has to be someone taking me by the hand. Someone has to lead me on the road, at least for a season in my life. And so this person, this spiritual director, offers spiritual guidance, companionship, to help us make sense of our faith journey and encourage us through the more difficult transitions and valleys of our pilgrimage. And he helps us make sense of the witness of the Spirit, assisting us to respond well to the question, how is God present to me? And how is God at work in my life? Um, let me give you a little, a little story here. This is a scene from my life, okay? And it happened more than once. I'd be in the car with my wife, Kathy, <clears throat> and we are on our way to visit a new friend. It's someone that we have never visited before, and they live in a quite remote, remote place. It's before the time of smartphones, GPS, and Google Maps. So what you do, you have a piece of paper and scribble down some instructions about it, which tree to turn and, and all that. And of course, I have my trusty shell map that's been in my glove compartment for 20 years, and I know I'm going to find this place. And we go and we drive, and, and um, yeah, before long, we realize we are, we, we, we are not where we're supposed to be. And, and then typically, Kathy would say, why don't you ask someone for direction? And I will answer, I don't need help. I know how to read a map. We're almost there, you know? And so we go on, and eventually we arrive at that place where even I have to admit I'm lost. 
And then I have to humble myself and roll down my window and ask uh, someone walking by, could you please help me and direct me to the place where I need to go? It takes humility to ask for direction. It takes, it takes humility to ask for help because we, we think we don't need help. I'm not lost. I know where I'm going. In reality, some of us are a little bit lost right now, aren't we? Some of us aren't quite clear about, about God's purpose for our lives. We're not, we're not so sure we are in that relationship in a way where we really function as God has designed us to function. So there is something about that. We need a fellow pilgrim who can help us discern and foster God's presence in our lives. Um, historically, this is not a new fad. Some people think, oh, now this is something new again, now we have to do this. And, and many have never heard those terms, spiritual formation or spiritual director before. But it's, as, it's age, age old. And uh, I'm, I'm just so encouraged when I, when I hear what's happening in the vineyards around the world. Um, Phil Stroud, the leader of the vineyard in the US, has been talking about this for years, that we need to work on our healthy spirituality. Last summer at the summer camp, uh, John Wright, uh, the leader of UK Vineyard, he said the same thing. He had a whole session on healthy spirituality, and he talked about the need of having a spiritual director to guide you, someone to really speak into your life. And this week, I was uh, um, on Facebook, I saw this link to David Ruiz, who is now the leader of the Canadian Vineyards, and they're having conferences all over Canada right now, and guess what they're talking about? They're talking about spiritual direction and about spiritual formation. This is not a new fad. This is just an awakening happening of something that has been part of the church for a long, long time. Biblically, it's, it's been around. I mean, that's why we have the Bible. The scriptures are there to, to direct us into a closer relationship. The scriptures are much more about that than they are about training us how to do things in life. Um, people say, but it's not in the Bible. Show me, show, show me the verse that says you must have a spiritual director. It's not there, of course. It was assumed that the role of the shepherd, the role of the prophet and the teacher would take that bit and, and help the people that they teach and equip in those areas. But somehow along the way, at, we, at least on the Protestant side of church, we've lost that. We have totally lost that. So, um, historically, as I said, for many evangelical believers, this seems to be a recent development, but it's an ancient practice that has been going on for many, many centuries. Uh, there are stories of um, the so-called desert fathers and desert mothers in the third and fourth and fifth century of the church, even before the official formation of the Catholic Church, these uh, spiritual leaders left the big cities because they just could not cope somehow with the, with the sinfulness that was going on and the noise that was going on, and they wanted to retreat out into the desert to, to, to get to know God better and to worship Him. Some of them stayed there for the rest of their lives, some of them maybe just for a few months. But soon enough, people would come from the city to seek them out because they wanted to learn from them. What have you learned? 
Show me how to find God's heart. Lead me and, sh and teach me how to pray. Show me how to understand these scriptures. I don't know what it means. And so there was spiritual direction going on for a long, 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 long time before. And then, of course, uh, we know in the Catholic Church through the, what's called the Ignatian spirituality, um, this happened simultaneously uh, as Luther worked on the Reformation. So this is around the same time there was, uh, yeah, this Ignatius who had this encounter with God, and I don't want to tell you the whole history, but he was a, a warrior, a general that was wounded, and while he was recovering, encountered God in such a powerful way that he dedicated the rest of his life to God. And, and, and he came up with some very interesting exercises that we can do in order to come closer to God and understand our spirituality. But then even closer, um, at least uh, geographically in many ways, is the Celtic Christianity. There is a, a term uh, in, in Celtic Christianity called Amajara, and it's Gaelic, and I'm probably mispronouncing it terribly, but it means nothing else than a soul friend, a soul companion. And it, it was... Uh, it was understood that every new believer would have an older believer walk with them, at least for a season, to guide them uh, in prayer, to guide them in their Bible reading, to help them in finding their calling and their purpose in life. So the, these things are not new in any way. It's just for many of us, we have not been exposed to them. And let me, let me close with... Uh, the goals, why? Why is this so necessary or so helpful? We need help to understand that we cannot attain the presence of God. We already totally are in the presence of God. What is absent is our awareness. I'm, I'm wrestling with this right now because um, there's some scriptures, I'm a, I don't know, I'm, I, I feel we haven't quite unlocked them. <sighs> When, when we hear in Joel and then Peter repeating that, my spirit is I've poured out on all flesh. I looked it up and it means all flesh. <laughs> so what does that mean? Does it mean his spirit is on every person that walks this earth? If that's so, then, well, our job may not be as hard as we thought it was. But it means that maybe, maybe it just takes for us to help them gain awareness of God's presence in their lives and then open themselves up and, of course, uh, experience forgiveness and new birth and all that. We are not taking this out of the equation. Anyway, I'm not quite done with that topic, but I'm thinking about it a lot because I know now, since I have kind of studied this and practiced this for a number of years, there is a truth in that. His presence is with me all the time. What I lack is the awareness. And that's the goal of spiritual direction, is to help the other person gain awareness that in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the deepest turmoil in your life, he is there. You may not feel him, you may not sense him, but he is there. And that can make all the difference, how you react in that kind of situation. It helps us to understand that prayer is not just another thing we have to do, another skill we have to learn, 
For many people, that's what it is. Another thing I have to do. Now I have to, you know, I have to read, and it has to, you have to, I have to pray, and I have to do that. Prayer needs to shift from asking for help to holy listening, an endless dialogue with an ever-present God. We are hungry. We don't really know for what. We want something, but we can't name it. What we really hunger for is wholeness and God. And that's the story of the, the little boy that is watching a sculptor make a statue of a lion out of a block of granite. And after he watched him over many, many weeks to do his piece of art, the little boy looks at the sculptor and he asked him, how did you know there was a lion in the rock? You and I, we need someone that can see the lion in our rock, in our heart. We need someone that can see, help us see the presence of God in us. All the deposit of God's grace and goodness in us. You see, the sculptor knows it by heart. He knows what the lion looks like. He sees the lion when he looks at the rock. If he wants to make an angel, he sees the angel before he starts working on the rock. He sees it because he knows it by heart. We need someone that knows God by heart. Someone that knows God by heart and can help us bring out that presence, that holy presence of God in our lives. Wouldn't that be great? I don't know about you, but that excites me because I've been on this journey for a long time now. And I know that 98% of everything I've ever learned, and I, I study a lot, 98% of what I've learned has all been about doing. And it's just in recent years that I'm digging in and discovering, but actually there's more. There's something about being that I haven't quite understood. Being a son of God being in his presence 24 hours a day, being beloved, being the apple of his eye, being loved by him. We know that up here, but oh, it takes so much work sometimes to really get that out in our heart. And so I want to challenge you. I want to read one last verse. My, one of my favorites, it's from the message, so it may sound different than what you're used to, but I just love the way it's worded. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. I would like to pray for you, for us, that if that spoke to you in any way at all today, if something was awakened inside of you, that you make a decision, that you seek out another fellow pilgrim, to become your spiritual guide. That sounds a bit new agey, doesn't it? 
but you know what I mean. Someone that can take our hand for a moment and say, you know what, I'll walk with you for a while. I give away what I have, I teach you what I know, and together we explore the goodness and the mercy of God in our lives so that we can become fit and equipped and aware of the power that is in us to do the things Jesus has asked us to do in this world. If that's something that resonates in your heart, we would like to pray for you. But more than that, we would like to invite you to, to come and talk to us. Maybe we can pair some people in the church. Wouldn't it be great if every younger person would maybe have somebody a bit older to just kind of walk with them for a while? Wouldn't it be awesome? I think it would be great. We are, we are now starting this uh, spiritual formation small group, and it's not too late to join if you're interested to find out more. We're just going to do some simple exercises and learn how to, to read the Word of God with new eyes. We're going to learn how to, how to pray in ways we may never have prayed before and see how it affects us, see how it helps us into a closer relationship. It's not that the relationship is not close, but it's the awareness I'm talking about that we need help with. We need to train that spiritual muscle if we want to be fit in our spiritual life.